Well, welcome aboard. I'm just browsing the internet to just make sure there's nothing else I'm missing on the uh, realignment front since that's once again heating up. Um, probably about two weeks later than it did. Uh, two, I guess it was, was it last year or year before when the USC and UCLA thing went down and, um, and then the big 12 one. So that might've been this time last year. I don't remember, but uh, greetings back from Charlotte. Um, well, I've been back for a few days. It kind of took yesterday uh, to have a little downtime, but ACC kickoff event uh, went very well for Georgia tech. Um, I thought Brent Key did a great job. I thought the players did a great job. Uh, Jordan Williams is a guy that I'm extremely proud of, like how he's developed as a, uh, as a person and letting his personality shine and, and being, you know, a guy that's been able to go out and, and talk to the media. He was very shy early on and didn't show you kind of his full personality. And he was totally hamming it up um, in, in Charlotte, as was uh, Miles Brooks. So that was cool. Um, Sylvain was great. So I think uh, it's going to be an interesting couple of uh, months now. We're getting ready to hit fall camp that starts on the 1st. Um, should have decent access for camp. Um, still waiting on the final word on, on what the plan is, but the early kind of hints have been that we should have some good access, so that would be cool. Uh, exciting for um, Joel subscribers, people who follow me other ways too that are too cheap. Um, so if you're not a subscriber, I'd suggest it's a great time to jump in. Community is awesome. And it's a great time to follow the Jackets as uh, maybe this is the rise of the Brent Key era of Georgia Tech football. Um, are we going to do a preseason lunch at Local 3? Working on that. Um I think that's definitely in the cards. Uh, it's something I've talked to, to my friend Chris about, and I think that uh, we're going to do that. So it's going to be interesting. Um, you know, jumping in back into the ACC kickoff event, it was a little weird because they moved it to three days. I thought it was a little too spread out. Um, missed some opportunity to see some people uh, that I would normally see there. It felt a little weird, like a little forced to be that spread out, um, given the the size of the media. It's not the same as the SEC one. I had been in Nashville the week before helping our Alabama site. Um, and there's just – it's it's like such a different animal. It's That's what I love about the ACC one. It's more chilled, laid back. You get better access. You know, I can go over and talk to Brent Key and have like a normal conversation. People aren't ushered around like the Pope. Um so I think that's a lot better. Um, what else kind of stood out? You know, obviously people picked up on some different things we talked about in the breakout sessions. Um, Sylvain's comment about the, the strength and conditioning program, which came from a purely honest standpoint by his, you know, his view of things as a guy that's new to all of that world. He, he's incredibly honest about all that stuff. And I, I found that really refreshing. Um, you know, the miles is always great. So is Jordan. I thought all of them did a great job. They get asked some weird questions by some people. There's always people with specific agendas. They like to write about at the, that event and they did a, a good job of handling that. I thought Jordan did a great job of dealing with things like people asking about the quarterbacks or, um, you know, just different questions about the offense. And then the defensive guys, obviously they had a pretty good run at, last year so that went a little more smoothly i think for them 
um, you know, kind of looking at the overview. I'm not sure where they're going to be picked yet in the in the final um, final tallies for the preseason awards. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very curious to see where, what Georgia Tech ends up. I don't know what the um, what the final say will be there. It's going to be interesting because um, the votes don't finish until Sunday night, so I have no feel for that. There was a kind of a decent-sized crowd from Georgia Tech there, so maybe there'll be a little bit better representation of some of the guys that are not – I always say this, but Clemson, Florida State, and then the Virginia schools and Carolina schools are always – a little more heavily represented in that stuff. So um, this will be a different, a little bit different look um, with, with just the way the event was spread out so differently. So I'm hoping that the, maybe the preseason teams will be a little more spread out and a little less very Clemson, North Carolina, NC State heavy like they've been. Uh, what else from there? I listened to the head of officials talk. I didn't actually write about this on the site. I just happened to be in the room when he was um, doing his speech. I, that was when I was typing up uh, Brett Key uh, from our breakout session. And he seems like a better dude than the guy he replaced. So the guy he replaced I thought was not great at his job. So hopefully this guy does a better job. I know that um, a lot of coaches were frustrated by the previous head of officials. I think this guy has been in the job for about a year now and Seemed like a nice enough guy. He answered questions pretty straightforward. One of the things he did say that I, I agree with that that makes a lot of sense is um, if you can't figure out in 60 seconds like what's going on in a replay or you know two minutes or 90, 90 seconds or whatever the window is, that they typically figure that stuff out, then they should just stop it and and – let the play stand because if you're having to like pick, pick, you know, pick some sort of minute pixelated angle of like three different things that that's just sort of beyond the scope of the game. And like, it's probably a little bit much to do that. So I think that um, I, I found that as an interesting comment is something I hadn't thought about a lot because you're talking about speeding up the game and what that would look like. So that's something I'm definitely, um, definitely interested in some <laughs> a little bit faster games. It, it, you know, one of the things that sucks for us is um, it, people cover it as, you know, I'm working right after the game. So like if that's going on, it's harder to watch other games and stuff. And the, the quicker the pace is, the more kind of my day I get back r regardless of when the game ends. So I'm not stuck working until one in the morning if it's a night game or, um, I can get out and watch the evening games or get out and watch even a, a seven or watch the end of the three thirty games sometimes. So that will, uh, that'll definitely be interesting. Um, other stuff from Charlotte, you know, I, I talked to, um, some other reporters just kind of getting, you know, taking a little bit of temperature and just what they're hearing with realignment is always Florida state. People are very adamant that, Florida State's going to do whatever Florida State wants to do, and they're going to do this and that and the other thing. And I've always found that like 99% of the time that they seem to be very focused on whatever appeases their fan base, sort of like a politician, like how their leadership works, like politicians, like they, they will fire up their base with whatever they think is going to fire them up. And 
I just don't see how you get out of the grant of rights unless you get a bunch of teams to jump. So I don't understand. I mean, Florida State could get sued into the Stone Age if they tried to jump. Reading some of the reports from today, it certainly seems like the Big 12 is not interested. From everything I've gathered from knowing people and um, some of the other TV networks that the SEC is kind of in a pause paused state right now in terms of expansion. They couldn't even get approval to, to go to a nine-game nine game schedule financially from according to my sources. So <clears throat> it seems like it's very unlikely that ESPN that's laying people off right now left and right is going to okay them spending another $250, $300 million to add two teams to the league. So or four half a billion dollars to add four. So I think the Big 12 is doing whatever they're doing. And then um, my gut has been on this. I posted this on the board that I wouldn't be shocked to see if the ACC and what's left of the Pac-12, there's some sort of something there, whether it's an actual like merger to try to make like a stronger third conference, which depending on which teams you added could be stronger than the big 12 and the big 12 is not great as it is right now. So I'm curious what that looks like in, in football. And, you know, if you're Clemson and Florida state, I think your benefit is being the big dog and being the big fish in a small pond and not being relegated to what's happened to Arkansas or some of these other teams that used to win their conference, Texas A&M that are just sort of marginalized. I think you're going to see that happen now with Texas and Oklahoma. If they're not careful, they're going to become marginalized. Is it the Alabamas and the Georgias and the whoever else kind of takes control of that conference? And, and it's going to be interesting to see what the reaction of all that is. And the other thing I was talking to a really good source today and um, he had a good point to me. He goes, look, these people are all kind of jumping around right now. No one knows what's going to happen in four years. And the big, balloon that's hanging over all of this is what happens with the situation if suddenly uh, student athletes become employees, which likely come from California. And that's where you see the super conference thing, I think, happen. So um, then it's, you know, all bets are off. If they go to a super conference that sort of eliminates a lot of this stuff and it makes it all kind of a moot point. So like you're better off actually in my estimation, winning big right now outside of the SEC or the Big Ten, if you can, positioning yourself so when those teams, when those leagues, if they become the two big powers or whatever happens, they're going to drop off the Vanderbilts and the Missouris of the world, and you got a chance to jump on that boat. I don't see Rutgers making the leap up if it's going to be a 40-team league or something. So. That's, that's, you know, what I, that would be my advice. If like I was running Clemson, that would be the way I would look at it. You're making plenty of money right now. Like I would not, you know, sell my soul or fight to try to get out of that and get into the SEC and maybe struggle for a year or two at a key moment where you could end up being dropped. So maybe that's the pessimist in me, but that's how I look at it. Um, there's going to be yeah, – I don't think Ole Miss or Illinois would survive maybe this model either, by the way. Uh, someone mentioned in, in the chat that those are two teams. I think those are – I think all of those teams, Mississippi State, all of them get cut if you go to a Super League. Um, and it kills what's great about college football. But I'm of the hope that that doesn't happen because I think the money's not going to be there to make it happen, but we'll see. Yeah. Uh, so getting in, I guess we can slide into realignment real quick. Um, 
Colorado going back to the Big 12 is sort of hilarious given how they left. Um, it's, the Big 12 is not very good. Like, I hate to – I think basketball-wise it's pretty good, but football-wise, like, I don't who, – who's the power team in that conference now? Like, who's the – there's no – they're not even a Florida State. There's not even – there's no one that's won anything in uh, other than UCF's fake championship in the last whatever UCF's won two BCS bowl games. Is anyone out Baylor and TCU have had some good runs. TCU just got killed in the championship game. I don't know. So that's a, that's my thought there. I'm going to get into some questions here and kind of jump, jump through those real quick. What does the overall health of the team look like going into camp other than Leo? Are there any other major injuries we should be concerned about? Um, nothing that I'm aware of right now, but I also am not like one of those people that gets deep into the weeds and that stuff, like this far out ahead of camp. Like I feel like Brent Key would have come out and said, hey, so-and-so is out for the year or whatever. If there was another season-ending injury, he'd have made a point to, to make that. So um, – I think that, you know, they're probably doing okay. There's always going to be guys bump, bumps and bruises and different things and tweaks and guys who got hurt in summer workouts or whatever. And as far as I know, there's nothing like super serious looming over. But again, I haven't been digging into that. So, um, <clears throat> I, oh, uh, that's his question in the chat. I don't know what twelve team, what Pac twelve teams, the ACC would add if they were to do that, and what it would even look like, like the equation. I think it would be strictly a money thing, um, obviously, and you'd have the, as I joked on the board, the all conference, the all what did I call it, the all coastal conference, conference, like coastal teams, haha. Um, but. You know, if Washington and Oregon were there and wanted to jump and if Arizona, Arizona State or Cal or Stanford, I don't know that everyone wants Cal, but um, Utah, any of those teams would be good. Um, you know, I don't know about the Washington States, the Oregon States of the world, but it's not my call to make that decision. Um, so is what it is. Um What's the off-the-record view of Georgia Tech right now from some of the other media members and coaches you talked to this week? How long do they expect Key to turn things take to Key for Key to turn things around? Um, I think most people think they're going to be sort of where I have them in that four to seven win range, and just depends on a lot of how the other teams play and stuff. Like one of the big things I was talking to somebody about. Um, on Tuesday was just like, what is Wake Forest this year? Like, no one knows. They've lost a bunch of pieces the last few years. They've been terrible on defense for really since they got good. They've been terrible on defense. The defense carried them their first two years, and then they've not been good really since then. So um, I appreciate the, the, the thanks, the thank yous from everybody. And, um, you know, when you look at Wake Forest, like our, you know, Dave's a great coach. They're very competitive, but are they going to be good this year? I, I think this might be like a down year for them, but I could be wrong. Like I thought Duke was going to be awful last year, and, and Mike Elko did one of the greatest coaching jobs I've ever seen. So, 
you know, I think Duke will level out a little bit this year just because their schedule's harder. But, um, you know, I was looking at everything. I just don't, you know, I think no one knows what like North Carolina is right now, Pitt, NC State, all the sort of middle tier teams. And that's why you see people picking like Louisville to win nine, 10 games. Because when you look at Louisville's schedule, it's not hard. So if the guy coaches well and they gel with all those new players, they should be pretty good. But they could lose week one to Georgia Tech, and that could send them in a slow spiral where they win six, five, six games. So you just don't know. Um, I think that would be interesting to see, like, how that all kind of unfolds. But um, I, th- I think most of the people think it's going to take – two or three years for Brent to really get things rolling. That would be my expectation. I think that you want to have some proof of concept in year one. So being competitive, you know, hopefully going to a bowl game and then next year pushing that a little bit further along. And then in year three is when you would expect to be really competing. Cause that's where say this class, the 2024 class, which you'll read something on rivals tomorrow that I did with, I think it will run tomorrow with John Garcia jr. Where we talked about, you know, Georgia tech and uh, where they might land in the final recruiting rankings for the cycle, which you guys will find interesting. Um, And I gave my prediction, but you know, if he keeps his class together, for example, like that's the core of what could be a really good team in two years, like along with what they already have in place and and guys getting older and the Haynes King, Zach Pyron's the DJ Moore's those guys all being older at that point and kind of gelling into something, Evan Dickens, like guys, they think a lot of that are younger on the team right now in two years, they'll have a lot more experience. So that's when you feel like you would kind of amp, amp things up more. Um, based on Lane Kiffin's comments and the two seemingly dual pieces of congressional legislation targeting sports NIL and the passionate debate that fans are having on the issue what's the correct take here? What's your take? Some people seem upset that inducements are being paid to players to come to and stay at school. Should this be allowed or not? It's my understanding. It's impossible to prevent. So if it can be prevented, people will just go around the rules. How could it be regulated? Prior to NIL, it was pretty widely acknowledged that blankety blank, who I'm not going to say got a deal from blank school uh, shoe company as a college player and there's lots of companies that skirt the rules. Yeah. Cheating has been going on forever. The amount of money just has changed, right? Like in what was maybe being offered to certain players that we all know and watched play basketball 15 years ago is now chump change to these people. And it's why the recruiting may have changed dramatically at, at certain schools that all of us spend a lot of time watching play. Um, if you, if you follow me, so yeah, the money's changed and it's ratcheted up and a lot of stuff's just over the table. So if you look at the teams that are historically accused of cheating, they're the ones that have been most out in front in a lot of this NIL stuff. And some of the ones that cheated that didn't have as much money are the ones that have the coaches that are most vocally complaining right now because they don't feel like they have a level playing field. And, um, I think that's, uh, that's going to be interesting to, to watch all this stuff. So you know, what, what is the right solution to this? Um, I don't think there is one because it's a flawed system. Like the reality is the, the only honest way to do this would be if you're going to pay them money is to make them employees and pay them uh, shares based on 
what the revenue is for the sport, like what the TV deals are, and this is what you get, and you have a collective bargaining agreement and all of that stuff. But the reality is that's no one wants that because no one wants an even playing field. That's why there's not a salary cap in baseball, right? Like, and in a lot of sports, they've tried to avoid that or they have ways around it, like a luxury tax or um, different things. No one wants a level playing field. They want to be able, both the players who are, you know, want the most they can make and the, the owners who are greedy and cheap at the same time. And so you have a mixture of all of that and you have guys that like profit on being owners in some of these sport, pro sports leagues who like don't even have a competitive product just because they can spend the bare minimum and, and, and make money. So, yeah, I just think there's no, I don't know how the hell you police it. Like, to be honest with you, I don't know how you, the only thing I can think of is everything has to be a, out available, like on a website, that's a transparent system, sort of like the transfer portal thing. But the problem with that is that people in my business will crack into that and see what the numbers are and start publishing people's private financial information and cause a bunch of drama. So I don't, I don't know what you do. It's, it seems like a, a real mess. Um, we are hearing a lot of positives about the attitude and camaraderie in the locker room under Brent Key without providing any specifics. What are some of the negative challenges that Brent Key is having to overcome as well? I think the biggest challenge they have right now, and this is like my, this has been sort of my opinion about all this is that, they don't have as much what Paul Johnson used to call one through eight talent, right? Like the, the high end of your roster. So like the first year of Paul Johnson or the second year, let's say that you're the one AC championship. He had Derek Morgan. He had Morgan Burnett. He had Bay Bay. He had Josh Nesbitt's quarterback, John DeWire. You had, um, who else was on that team? Um, well, let's just stop there. There's five guys that are all sort of NFL talents that, you know, Nesbitt didn't really have a, a pro career, but was a extremely great college quarterback and athlete and, and tough warrior guy. And you had, let's say, Roddy Jones and, and Anthony Allen or whoever else you want to add into that mix. Stephen Hill. You had like a lot of one through eight talent, right? Um, this team may have those guys eventually, but I don't see a ton of – you know, I think, you know, right now they're, you know, your, your top guys are like LaMiles Brooks, um, Sylvain, Jordan Williams, who they brought to ACC kickoff, who's had his own struggles, um, you know, with the consistency all the time, um, you know, to Quan Dallas. Like, I don't know, like, what the – I think the middle's getting better like that eight, you know, nine through whatever, 50. But right now the the top end, you, you they just don't quite have enough guys. And it's going to come down to like whether the Dominique Blaylocks or the um, Abdul Janais or the you know, or Trinidad Tatum, whoever it is, like these guys step up and, and turn into something. Even someone like Sylvain, who I put in there, you know, he's got to show it right consistently. So um, Eric Singleton um, is a guy that, Russell brought up in the chat that people have been raving about, like that he's just sort of a freak speed guy, sort of like a Marion Brown, like, but with better hands and better size. Um, so yeah, you just don't know who those, I guess that's my biggest question right now. That's the thing I look at. And when you talk about the, the locker room, I think the locker room's bought in, but 
how do they handle adversity? Like how do they, if that Louisville game goes South, you know, how do you, or if they have another blowout game where they get their butts kicked, like how do they respond to that? And that's going to be the big things that kind of turn and, and manipulate kind of the things that Brent key has to learn to manipulate and control and massage and all those things you want to use in, in terms of coaching. And that's where, you know, experience will come in for him and he's going to have to lean on his many years of working as a coach and, and, understand how to, to get the most out of his dudes. Finish this sentence. Georgia Tech's surprising eight-win season was driven primarily by the team's unexpected. Uh, scoring offense, right? Like, so the, the offense has not been like, for all the knocks on Paul Johnson's offense, they scored a lot of points and consistently scored a lot of points. And even though they slowed the game down, they were efficient in, in scoring categories, and that has been non-existent basically, really, since um, you know the whatever last decent win they had in 2018 was. Um, just haven't scored many points in many games. I mean, start guys start scoring 28, 30 points, 35 points here and there, like consistently. Like they just haven't done that, especially in ACC play. Score more points than the opposition isn't sufficient. Yeah, I think it's a sustained, like the offense is able to, the offense is top 50. This is the same parameters I put last on last year's team, right? If you're in the top 50 in offense and defense, like scoring offense and total defense, I think you're going to have, you win eight games. Like, I think that's a pretty solid recipe, probably if you look historically through leagues other than maybe a league that was really top heavy for a year. Like if there's an SEC season or Big 12 or, I mean, Big Ten or um, ACC season or something. Big 12, not so much because a lot of those teams don't play defense and haven't historically um, other than TCU and Baylor. But I think historically, if you kind of look at it, the, the top 50 in, in those two categories would get you there. Both Key and Scooter charmed the media and fans at the beginning. So why does Key feel so much better? Is it more that Key's not an obvious used car salesman like Scooter was? I can't put my finger on it. Brent is Brent. Brent is 100% authentic. That's why I'm a little concerned that he might drop an F-bomb on his radio show. Like, he is a legit, like, he is exactly the same when he's in front of the cameras in terms of the, the human being as he is when it's away. When I talk to him privately, like, same dude, right? Like, um, and, you know, we talk can talk about whatever. And the thing with Jeff was, I, it just he had a social awkwardness, I guess would be the way I put it. I don't know how to describe it, but um, it came across as unauthentic. And um, it was, he was very different um, talking to me personally, or even what we talked about with the team and stuff privately. And again, everything was kind of like a two second conversation. Like he was always in a hurry um, with whoever he was talking. It wasn't just me. It was like anyone. He just seemed to always be in a hurry. And we talk, you know, I, I can say this, I've had two hour or three hour conversations with Brent Key that are really interesting, even this summer, um, where we just talked about whatever, even non-football stuff. And that was hard to do with him, but it did the same thing with Paul Johnson. I think there's some people can sense authenticity and I think it, it came across. Good. Da, 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 da. Oh, yeah, make sure you guys hit the like button because that apparently helps my algorithm. 
Uh, Jim Williams, who's a media dude, tweeted, I can confirm the Pac-12 have spoken with officials from ACC ahead of a very important CEO and ad meeting set for later today. More to come as I get more information. Can you share any thoughts on what happens next for GT and the ACC? Nobody knows. I mean, Georgia Tech's a um, very desirable product if it's invested in and, and the product's going well. And um, it just depends on what the seats are at the table, like what's going on with the league. I think all the ACC teams are still stuck in this grant of rights thing. And I think the only way it goes sideways is if they all like you have, you would have to have like half the league try to leave at the same time. And I think that's the way it would get blown up, but it clearly is not going on because if that was happening, the big 12 would be trying to add like Virginia tech and Pitt and whatever, like, those teams that were in that weird alliance or whatever, but that's not going on either. So like, there's definitely, I think there's a lot of people who have no idea what the hell's going on and are trying to throw darts at a wall and see what happens. And I definitely think that there's, I, I, if I were the PAC 12 commissioner, I'd sure as hell be calling Jim Phillips and trying to make something happen. Um, Cause clearly their people are pissed about whatever their TV deal is going to be. And there's more strength in numbers if they can partner with another, um, another league, especially one that is in a stronghold of college football. Whereas I think the PAC 12 is more NFL oriented areas of fan bases other than, you know, a few spots. So um, adding teams to the ACC does not void the grant of rights. It's not how it works. They would just be signing into the grant of rights to join the league. Um, Someone asked me how far behind Haynes King is in the QB race. I don't know. The kids all are behind you. Zach Pyron right now is kind of leading things. Haynes is learning the offense and, and learning some ways that Chris Winkie wants to do things. It's the one other clear advantage that Zach Pyron has. He had a year of working with Chris Winkie and understanding what he wants. And so um, I think that people need to understand that, um, that, you know, even whatever happens out of the gate may not be how things play out. And I, I would tell the same thing to either of their parents if they were in the room with me right now. Like, I, you can never handicap these things. And, um, you know, I've covered a couple different weird quarterback battles. I covered one where, you know, Mark Rick refused to start Matthew Stafford um, early on in his career, like as a true freshman. when he was clearly like eight times more talented than the other guys in the room. Um, you know, David Green at Georgia went in the job there. I've seen Paul Johnson stick with Tevin Washington because uh, Tevin was just a tough dude who, who didn't – did mostly did not make mistakes. And he, he felt like that was the safer option. So you just never know with coaches like how any of that stuff's going to play out and how Zach's going to play if, if he's playing every down, how he holds up, how Haynes would hold up if he's playing every down. No idea. Um, so – I would just say we'll see how it plays out. Um, <laughs> I did say that it's from a lot of indications I've gotten from talking to different people. Haynes King was not developed the way he anticipated by Jimbo Fisher at Florida State. And he is far from the only kid that has said this uh, privately or publicly or whatever. There's been guys who publicly called them out for their player development and stuff. And it was an issue at Florida State as well. So um, with some guys. 
There's a fake Jeff Collins in the chat. That's awesome. If PJ Fleck approached Paul Johnson and asked him how he's feeling with PJ knowing full well, Fleck was expecting the answer to elite. What do you think Paul Johnson would actually say to him? I don't think I can say those words on, on YouTube. I'm trying not to get demonetized. So you can use your imagination. Uh, all right, let's get into the chat questions here. Um, bah, 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 bah. Do you think ESPN Fox will have to restructure deals with SEC and Big Ten in 2030? I think no one has any idea what's going to happen in two years. Uh, like I was talking to somebody tonight. I was like, I could not tell you. He was like, I couldn't tell you what was going to be the situation in 2025 right now. Like, I think everyone's living day to day at the moment in, in college football. And um, that's what's driving all of this. Uh, what's going on with basketball recruiting a lot of big names? Yeah, they just finished the July evaluation period. Visits are going to start back up. Um, OVs, like, kind of in the September range. So they'll start having kids in. Um, and they'll bring them to football games and stuff like that, I'm sure. And that's kind of where you're going to start to find out a little bit more as those kids get back onto campuses. Um, right now is kind of a weird time um, with that. You don't see a lot of commitments and stuff. Most of that's going to come after the September, um, November visits. But they did offer a lot of big men in the last week and a half. So clearly they're doing a little bit of reset on the board there um, for the 2024 basketball class. Is GT more likely to join the Big Ten or the SEC again? If I, I see like no scenario where the SEC invites Georgia Tech back, and I don't see, I won't say I wouldn't see them accepting that if they were invited because that's such a far fetched like even thought to have. I can see Georgia Tech join the big 10. Um, do I think that's a good move for them in terms of football? I, not really. I don't think the style play matches up, but obviously everything's in flux now. So who knows? Really excited about the wide receivers. It looks like Rutherford and Larry are penciled in. Who do you think will step up between Blaylock Moore, and lane? So yeah, R Malik Rutherford and, and, and Christian Leary are the two slot guys. They'll play at times together on the field as well. Um, they can both even line up outside if needed. Um, they showed that in the spring game, so I'm not not giving out state secrets here. Um, you know, out of the outside guys, um, you left out Abdul Janay. I think he's got an opportunity to transfer from Duquesne. Um, he's a big-bodied outside guy. I think Dominique Blaylock might be a dude if he can like stay healthy. He is really talented. He just hasn't, he was in an offense that like he was finally healthy last year as an offense that didn't throw the ball a whole lot on the outside and they kind of focused on other dudes. So um, Chase Lane's interesting because he was in their offense was one that made Georgia techs look dynamic at times at A&M and um they just didn't throw the ball to him either. And he was a little miscast from what I understand what they're asking him to do at times. DJ Moore is my dark horse guy. And he's like the guy I feel like could have like really helped them last year had he been healthy. And he had lingering ankle issue, I think it was, and just wasn't able to go. And they shut him down, which was the wise thing to do. Um, then Leo Blackburn may be back before the end of the year. Like if things, you know, can stay on track with his rehab. 
you know, I'd be a little, the guys I would be a little more surprised to see would be like the black strain Juju Zion. Like those guys I think are a little bit further behind at the moment. Avery Boyd had a really good um, spring. So maybe he pops out Eric Singleton and Bailey Stockton are two freshmen that I'd really keep an eye on as well. Bailey was a, came in as a walk on and, has had a great summer and Eric Singleton's just apparently like an absolute freak and can fly. Um, how difficult is it for Georgia tech to get kids in the transfer portal versus other schools in the league? It's easier to get transfer portal students from kids versus high school. If they're coming from college, uh, is it easier? Um, is easier is my understanding to transfer in than some of the high school kids. I had a buddy, laid out for me really well. He was talking about um, Oregon. So I forget what Georgia Tech's admission rate is. It's very low. Um, I'm sure it's under 50%. And, uh, you know, I haven't looked at it in years. It comes up in conversations from time to time with people whose kids don't get in or something. But um, Oregon, for example, like Phil Knight, Oregon, a, a big football program, the school itself, not the athletic department, is I think at 96%. That's what my buddy was telling me. I'll have to double check this. Like, I can't even imagine that. Like, that's like basically letting in people, the most bare minimum people into your college, right? So Georgia Tech's not that. Like, you've got to be able to do the work. Brent talks about that. that his big thing is more about if he's going to take chances on guys, they have to be able to do the work. And he has some leeway with it. And he talked about it at the ACC kickoff. They've given him some leeway to, to take some kids. So um, what's harder at Georgia tech is taking kids who are sophomore and juniors because of the way credits transfer. So we don't have a liberal, liberal arts. Did I just go blue? That was weird. Um, anyways, you don't have liberal arts. It's hard to do that. So I look like uh, on my screen right now. I look like um, Mr. Freeze. Uh, do I look like that to you guys? That's weird. Yeah, I'm all purple. What the hell happened? Oh, man, that's pretty funny. Uh, let's try this. Now I'm even more purple. Wow. Apparently I've been, yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, maybe I'll wrap it up here. Uh, yeah, it does look like went to the black light room. I had a roommate that had his only lights in his room were black lights. I always thought it was like super creepy. Yeah, let me not uh, zoom around in here. Uh, all right. Let me see if, uh, I got any, uh, I'll get one last question. Somebody asked me if I'm going to the golf tourney, um, that the board's doing, um, if I can, I'll try to, um, I would like to show my face, but, um, I appreciate everyone for joining it. And I guess I'll check out now since I turned purple and try to figure out what the heck's going on with my gear. But, um, Thanks. Much love to everybody. And I appreciate everyone 
you know, it's been a tough time uh, with my family and stuff. So thanks for everyone for um, uh, hanging out and being understanding about that. But uh, everyone have a good night and um, we'll see you. I'll try to jump on next week again.